When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, it's Hamish from the Young Investors Podcast. Myself and Brandon are excited to bring you your weekly rundown of the latest business and investing news from around the world. A quick reminder before we get started, any advice provided by Brandon is general and does not consider your financial situation, needs or objectives, so consider whether it's appropriate for you. Brandon Vanderkolk is authorized to provide general financial product advice in Australia and is authorized representative number 1305795 of Guideway Financial Services Proprietary Limited. Limited, AFSL number 420367. Please see the description box for Brandon's financial services guide. Past performance is not a reliable indication of future investment returns. But with that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. All right, everyone. Welcome back to yet another episode. Do, do, do. Hello, Hamish. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. It's a, it's a bit of a bit of a sad week in the uh, the investing oh, I know, finance right? business world. Um yeah, Mr. I'm sure most people have probably seen Mr. Charlie Munger, Vice Chairman of uh, Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett's right-hand man, um, unfortunately uh, passed away this week at the age of 99. Um, so The saddest thing is, is that he only had two months and he was going to be 100. I know. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Because I think um, CNBC did an interview with him recently that was supposed to be released for his 100th birthday. And now we're starting to mm. kind of get clips of that come out and I guess they'll kind of move that interview more into kind of a memorial for him and his, his life um, rather than for his 100th birthday of course um, but yeah it is yeah. It, it is it's kind of a it's a it's a it is a, sh- a shock for the the timing of it but mm. it's also you know he's lived obviously a fantastic long life um, so yeah. yeah it was very sad I woke up and uh, and Tash told said, said uh, broke the news to me I was quite sad yeah it, to me it's um, it's surprising how an event so anticipated still caught me so much by surprise. I think is because he's he was ninety nine. Humans don't live, you know. Very few of us live to ninety nine. So it's a very yeah. anticipated event. They've been speaking about it at Berkshire for years. This succession plan and all that. But I still found it so. I was very shocked still when it happened. Um, yeah, and I think it was even more. I was caught more by surprise when it happened um, because he's, he's just, he, all the way up until his death, he was sharp. He was with it. He yeah. mentally, he was there. He, his body was frail, but he was 99, but he didn't seem like a man that was dying. Um, he was still, yeah, very mentally with it. I listened to the acquired podcast featuring Charlie Munger, which was not that long ago. Um, yeah. and he sounded, you know, he sounded good. So yeah, it's, I think it's just a bit of a shock, but I guess it's a positive. I, I guess we should take that as a positive. The, the good yeah. thing is that of all the things he had a great mind up and right up until the end. And it was ultimately his body that failed him, not his mind. So yeah. And, um, I think that's one positive. Yeah. And I think it was, you know, it was fortunate that we were able to go, we've been to, um, Omaha to the, to two Berkshire meetings the last two years. And we got to see him sit alongside Warren Buffett and answer questions. And um, yeah, it's not, it's not going to be the same yeah. again um, next year. Um, it'll certainly be different. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's, uh, he's certainly pr- probably a top two, even, maybe even top one person who's influenced my personal investing journey um, over my life the most. Um, mm. So yeah, it is very it's- sad. It's an interesting thing because we say that oh well we actually we subscribe more to the Warren Buffett style of investing, but at the end of the day, as value invest, we have to remember that Warren Buffett's style of value investing was buying cigar butts that he learned from Benjamin Graham. What we actually subscribe to now, which is buying high quality businesses at fair prices, that's that's Charlie Munger's approach. That was Charlie Munger teaching Warren Buffett his ways of investing. And then Warren Buffett coming around to that idea. So, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. If you're a Buffett style investor, you 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 can't uh, 
you can't deny that Charlie Munger has actually had a massive impact on on your own investing um, as well. So it is very, very sad. You're right. The Berkshire Hathaway shareholder meeting will be very different without him. Um, I'm glad that they've started to bring up Ajit and Greg in the last couple of years yep. so that it won't feel too, too like replacement-ish um, when we go next year. But um, it'll, it's, it, it won't be the same. Of course it won't be the same. He, he was a pivotal part of the Berkshire Hathaway, uh, of Berkshire Hathaway full stop, but particularly um, of the Berkshire Hathaway shareholder meetings. And yeah, I guess uh, both yeah. of us, we're just very, uh, very lucky. Uh, we're very privileged to have been able to go and see them live for two years. Um, we actually got to do it, Hamish. How cool is that? We actually, we yeah. actually got to see them both doing their thing. Yeah, it's crazy because, you know, we'd kind of spoken about it or even thought and like kind of dreamed about going to, to Omaha probably, you know, for quite a few years before we eventually did. So, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a crazy journey. It's, yeah, it's, it's always amazing to go just meet everybody, um, sit at the meeting and yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I do feel very blessed that we were able to, um, uh, at least see, you know, Charlie Munger at least a couple of times, um, in person. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Mm. Rest in peace, Charlie. We're yep. going to miss you, mate. Rest in peace. Um, but with that said, Hamish, uh, yep. let's let's move on. What are we going to talk about today? It's a bit of a lighter news week, but there's still a couple of bits and pieces floating around. So what are you going to be talking about today? Yeah, we've, um, we've, we've got a few pieces of kind of economic news from Australia and also the Eurozone that I'll kind of go through, you know, inflation uh, updates around uh, those regions. I found a, a pretty funny... Um, a case of, uh, I've called it maybe a contender for the dumbest case of securities fraud ever. So, um, oh, I, really? <laughs> I always like, I always get excited finding like, uh, really obscure, interesting, uh, stories of fraud. And this isn't a big fraud case. This is, this is no, you know, FTX, but <laughs> it's kind of, uh, it's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> so we'll, Hamish's we'll fraud that. case of the week. <laughs> yeah, we were, uh, we were actually talking about that. Like we should try and um, I should like make a conscious effort to try and find a lot of these things. Cause there's, there's so many little fraud cases that are just funny. Like, cause they're just, they're just silly. Yeah. Like it's kind of insane how these people thought they'd get away with what they're doing. Um, so we should, I should try and make it like a regular, <laughs> a regular part of the, uh, there's, a, the there's always one out there that we can have a laugh about. There's always somebody doing something absolutely ridiculous. We actually could make that a, a, a weekly segment. Yeah. I think yeah. we'd have quite a bit of fun doing it. Uh, but then what am I talking about? Um, oh, we should talk about the Shein IPO. I believe that's how you yes. pronounce it. Shein, yep. Shein IPO. Yep. That's coming up. And um, Black Friday, of course, Black Friday has just been. So we've got mm. some data around um, the Black Friday spend this year. And geez, Elon Musk. Oh, man, the guy <laughs> is absolutely off the rails now. He sat down with a... Uh, uh, with CNBC, Andrew Ross Sorkin. I don't know if you know him. He's one of the CNBC anchors. Yeah. Um, and he lost his cool. So we are going to talk about what he said uh, a little bit later on in the podcast. But with that said, oh, and yeah. I should say as well, just quickly before we launch into it, I uh, just want to say thank you guys for um, for your support over the past week of New Money Education as well. The launch went really, really well. So we're super happy with it. Um, really appreciate it if you guys did decide to pick up a course um, hopefully you're enjoying them. Uh, we definitely want to hear feedback so far. The earlier reviews have been extremely positive. I haven't had any negative reviews yet, which is good. Oh, and let's awesome. keep it that way. But, um, I don't know. We, we, we have, we, we kind of expected good reviews because we've been working for nine months. Yeah. On it. <laughs> it's like 10 hours of content. It took yeah. us nine months to make. So we were yeah. pretty confident going in, but yeah. nonetheless, it's still <laughs> great to see. Thank you guys for the support. I won't ramble on. Um, with yeah. that said, Hamish. Yes. Let's get into it. So with that said, today's episode is brought to you by Seeking Alpha, your one-stop shop for stock analysis, market data, and news. Access expert analysis and news for thousands of stocks. If you buy, hold, and sell ratings from members, Wall Street analysts, and Seeking Alpha's own algorithm. Screen for stocks using a variety of fundamental and technical analysis metrics. Access 10 years of financial data and company filings. And manage your portfolio by tracking your investments with price alerts so you never miss a buying opportunity again. Click the link in the episode description or head directly to seekingalpha.me forward slash young investors uh, to try Seeking Alpha free for seven days. Uh, and at the time of this going out, if you're listening to this on the first couple of days when this releases, their Black Friday deal is still going until the 5th of December. Um, so uh, yeah, you can just use our link, 
and access their Black Friday deal, which is a seven-day free trial and then $167 uh, per year for their premium subscription. So if you're interested, um, it's a fantastic deal. Again, only uh, available until the 5th of December. So go um, check that out um, if, you, if you're interested. Mm. I was using Seeking Alpha the other day. I cannot remember what I was looking up though. Anyway, that's the biggest non-story of, the, of the week. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. <laughs> cool story, Brandon. Cool story. Hey, uh, oh, all right. Take us. Where um, should we start? Uh, I want to talk about Black Friday. Can we start okay. there? Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, let's let's talk about Black Friday because it's just gone. So yeah. um, people spent a lot of money, Hamish. Surprise. <laughs> they Shocker. Spent- <laughs> I think that's the sure, first time yeah. that's ever happened. Well, yeah, yeah. It is it's crazy how I mean it's a marketer's dream, isn't it? To have everybody around the world just warm. Just to have yeah. them all warm and yeah. ready to spend. They've already got their wallets out. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what, they just know that they're ready to spend. It's so it's crazy the psychology of it. It is an advertiser's dream. Yep. And it's also a reason that advertising is quite expensive on Black Friday because it's <laughs> very lucrative. But anyway, yeah. Black Friday e-commerce spending Hamish mm. popped seven point five percent from a year earlier, reaching wow. a record nine point eight billion dollars in the US, according to Adobe according to an Adobe Analytics report. Further indication that price-conscious consumers want to spend on the best deals and are hunting for these deals online. Quote, we've seen a very strategic consumer emerge over the last year, and we're really trying to take advantage of these marquee days so that they can maximize on discounts, said Vivek Pandya, a lead analyst at Adobe Digital Insights. Black Friday's spending spike reflects a customer who is more willing to spend than in 2022, uh, when gas and food prices were painfully high. Pandia noted that impulse purchases may have played a role in the Black Friday growth since $5.3 billion of the online sales came from mobile shopping. Wow. He noted that influencers and social media advertising have made it easier for consumers to get comfortable spending on their mobile devices. So wow. there you go. Seven, 7.5% increase year over year. I, I don't know. I feel like that's a big rise. I feel like that's quite a chunk. Yeah, it's a big rise, especially considering the massive... I mean, they mentioned that you know, food and gas have kind of moderated, but every other expense has been going up at a high rate. It's like, it's not like we're in deflation this year. I mean, inflation is... And what, savings are as low as ever. Yeah, I mean, so what's inflation this year? Still 4 5 6% depending on where you are. So that's, you know, 4 5 6%. Prices are 4 5 6% higher than last year, um, even excluding kind of all mm. the inflation that came before that. So... Yeah, it is crazy to see. Um, yeah, it's it, it's 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 insane to see that people are still they're still finding people still have money that they want to spend on it's on things. Hectic. And you know, there could be an effect that people uh, are kind of saving more up for these Black Friday deals because of the cost of living crisis, which I'm sure does play a role. People being a bit maybe a little bit more conscious about how they're spending throughout the year and and taking more advantage of these kind of deal um, days or moments. Um, so I'm sure maybe that plays a role in this as well, but yeah, fascinating to see. Yeah, it is a pretty crazy 7.5% higher than a year earlier and inflation's been roaring and people have less money in their bank accounts. So yeah, hectic. Anyway, sorry, I need to stop saying that word. Don't I? Didn't we get comments saying <laughs> yeah. that my new favorite word yeah, is hectic? Yeah, yeah. Not hectic. Absolutely not. Completely and utterly standard. Yeah. Yeah. Google right. some synonyms and come up with something <laughs> slightly different. Synonyms. <laughs> I'll do I'll do that when I'm not talking next. All right. Um, still, price uh, still shoppers are price sensitive, managing tighter budgets due to last year's record inflation and interest rates. Uh, according to Adobe Survey, according to the Adobe Survey, 79 million of the sales came from consumers who opted for the buy now pay later flexible payment method to stretch their wallets, up 47 percent from last year. 47 percent more buy now pay later. Hamish. Interesting. So mm. people want to spend. Maybe they shouldn't be spending. I don't know. Do you have an mm. opinion on buy now, pay later? Tash, um, absolutely. She hates them. She hates buy now, pay later. I think, I'm, I'm on I mean, the fence. I think it's the same as credit cards. I mean, if you're using it to take advantage of, of kind of interest-free periods and, and it's money that you do have, I, I think I think it really, again, it's, it's a tool that can be used by someone who's financially smart, but uh, but- but most people who use credit cards, most people who use buy now, pay later are, are extending their spending beyond their means. So 
Um, mm. I, th- I think it, uh, I, yeah, I, I personally don't use them. I don't, I, I don't really, I have a credit card, but I don't use it as like a credit card. I just do all my payments through it and then I pay it off every single week way before the interest payment period yeah. comes. And it, it's money that I already have, of course. It's not like I'm trying to spend more than I have. So, um, yeah, yeah I'm, not, I'm not a huge fan of buy now, pay later. I think it's probably opened the door to a lot of people who maybe didn't want to get a credit card um, because they feared that they would spend too much money. And it's like a stepping stone for people to spend more money. I'm sure. I think a lot of people mm. probably use it that way. Yeah, I, th- I think you're probably right. Um, I tend to agree. The best-selling categories. Oh, this is interesting. Um, well, no, it's not interesting. It's completely expected. The best-selling categories <laughs> of Black Friday, the Adobe report found, were da 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 electronics. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, were electronics like smartwatches and televisions, uh, along with toys and gaming. Wow. If you, <laughs> that's, that's, that's very yeah. predictable. Okay. All the essentials. Meanwhile, home repair tools, Hamish, people are not repairing their houses. Right. Home repair tools underperformed. Yes, you heard it here first. Right. Uh, Pandya said top sellers directly correlated to whichever products had the best discounts. There you go. You offer the biggest discount, you get the most sales. Proven in the data. Interesting. Um, Adobe gathers its data by analyzing 1 trillion visits to U.S. retail websites, 18 product categories, and 100 million unique items. It does not track brick-and-mortar retail transactions. Hmm. Although, what did they say here? A MasterCard analysis of this year's Black Friday sales found that in-store sales rose just over 1% versus online sales, which grew by over 8% compared to last year. So, yeah. This whole Black Friday, these whole shopping sprees, they are very much online only, aren't they? Yeah, I think, um, I don't know about Black Friday, but for, you know, Boxing Day sales in Australia, which is the day after Christmas, you used to have to go in store to get the best deals. That used to be like a thing, like you would make a whole deal about getting up early and going in. Now, and I don't know how this relates to Black Friday, but now it seems like retailers are just willing to give good deals online like because that's where just a lot of people are shopping so you don't really it doesn't seem like you have to go physically in which um does make it a lot easier because um yeah shopping centers on these kinds of weekends are just an absolute Oof. nightmare um mm. so yeah they are indeed hamish hotter they are indeed i i do not like going to the shops when it's crowded no that is like my my least favorite thing to do yeah but um Yes, there you go. I mean, the trends are, as you would expect, more and more spending every year. Um, Electronics, high spending, definitely more so online than retail. I think that's pretty much in line. The only thing that caught me by surprise, I didn't expect it to be up 7.5% versus last year. I feel like that's Mm. quite the rise. Did uh, um, but anyway, did uh, is, did uh, you take advantage of any deals <laughs> over the Black Friday weekend? Because I, I personally, yes, I, I personally don't normally do Black Friday shopping too much because I don't really, uh, I, I don't know, I don't really buy all that many things. But this year, I made an effort to do all of my Christmas shopping over this weekend because I was like, I I have to do oh. it. Like it's a good time to just get it done, take advantage of some deals. So um, I was I was very proud nah, of so myself. You, now for you being finished. Organized. You got a cruisy December. Yeah, pretty much. I got a couple of things I need to get, but um, yeah, I'm actually proud of myself because yeah. usually I'm like a 20th of December organizing presents kind of guy. <laughs> so uh, yeah. so I'm, I'm glad I got it out of the way. Yeah. What'd you get me? What's my Christmas present? Oh, well, you, you have to wait and see. You have to, you have to wait and see. Oh, yeah. I'll have to wait and see. <laughs> AKA nothing. <laughs> Crap, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> nah, oh dear, oh dear. Nah, and I got myself a present on on Black Friday. I got myself a nice new sound bar, which still Ooh. hasn't arrived. It still needs to be delivered. Nice. But um, I don't know. I, I get this thing where when I'm watching movies, I like the, the music and the, the special effects are always so loud. And then I like can't really hear what the people are saying when it's not like the action sequences. So I'm like got the controller and I'm like, jamming up the volume yeah. just to hear what they're saying. And then I'm like turning it way back down again for when the action side, just like, I think I just need to get a sound bar. Yeah. And just even everything a little bit out. Um, so yeah, we'll see how that goes. I'll let you know. But uh, yes, yes. So it was, it was a sound bar for me. All right. Nice. That's enough about Black Friday. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously. And six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well, 
That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hamish hey, Hodder, tell me something I don't know. Um. Well. Uh. Yeah. Let's. Uh, let, let's take a look at this. Um. This, this fraud case that I, I found on. Um. On. On the Wall Street Journal, which could be contender of uh, maybe the dumbest <laughs> case of fraud in 2023. <laughs> uh, again, it's you know we, we've covered uh, all kinds of kind of fraud stories on the podcast. We you know we've recently covered FTX and um, we've kind of looked at Theranos. So these are kind of big fraud cases. We've also looked at obscure ones like the New Jersey Deli. Um, fraud That's case which right. was uh which is an interesting story you could probably find it on youtube if you search new jersey deli young investors it'll probably come up um that's a that's yeah. a that's a very funny story and this is um that's certainly sits in the category alongside the the deli it's it's not a it's not a big story like ftx for sure it's very very small but it is maybe one of the dumbest attempts at, at fraud that i've seen in quite a while uh, so uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission on Wednesday charged Jonathan Lamore, a Phoenix-based real estate investor, with stock manipulation. So um, this, is a, this is a case of, of someone doing something illegal to make a stock uh, move up and, and benefit personally from it. So what happened? Um, so this story actually relates to WeWork, um, which is kind of the, oh. the shared uh, workspace company that went out of business a couple of weeks ago. I think we, we spoke about it, I'm pretty sure couple of weeks ago the mm-hmm. company was kind of struggling for a long time um and uh and yeah it eventually kind of um you know failed a couple of couple of weeks ago uh, and if, even though the company yeah. has been failing of course um you could have still invested in the stock um throughout november and even t- today you can still buy the stock if you ha- can invest through the over-the-counter markets it's not on the new york stock exchange anymore or the nasdaq wherever it was listed but it is still a publicly traded stock so you can um still technically traded even though it's its price and value has come down pretty considerably. And when a company is near bankruptcy, the stock price can become fairly volatile um, because the, the value of the company is very small. I think it's about $50 million now, whereas it was worth multiple tens of billions of dollars um, at its peak. Um, so it's a very kind of small listing now. So you kind of get these big swings based on news and people still like to trade it, even though it's a business that's you know going out of business and it you don't know what you're going to get as an investor, pennies on the dollar or whatever it is. Uh, people tend to like to make kind of short-term trades. Um, and Jonathan Lamore knew this and, and recognized this. And he had an idea. He had an idea to make some money from the stock in a not so legal way. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, smudging the lines a little bit. I haven't, and for those, I haven't read ahead, so I actually have no idea what you're about to tell me. So I'm, I'm getting yeah. ready for this. I, I'm a viewer right now. I'm yeah. a listener right now. Um, so this, this all just happened a month ago, which is the other funny thing, because usually like the SEC, if there's a big case, it takes them a while to build the evidence and, and for it to actually come yeah. out after. Sometimes it takes years after something's happened for it to come out. The SEC went after this guy less than a month after this happened. So I think it tells you oh how, my gosh. how obvious it was. <laughs> What he was doing. Uh, But earlier this month, I think it was right at the beginning of November, um, he started out by buying a bunch of call options on WeWork stock, which is basically a financial derivative. It's basically a way to, most people know what options are, but it's a way to make a short-term bet uh, that the stock would rise. Um, uh, And at the time- He's buying contracts. He's betting the stock is going to go up. Correct. Yes. So that's the type of kind of option um, that he's buying. And at the time, the stock was worth less than- uh, $1 uh, per share. It was about 80 cents, I believe. I don't know the exact dates when he was buying, but it was about 80 cents per share. Uh, right. In total, he bought 72,000 call options, um, which each of those wow. uh, each of those call options is a, a bucket of 100 shares. So it's a, it was about $6 million worth of, worth of stock. Uh, Jeez. And that bit is fine. Um, there's nothing illegal. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? Yeah, who is this guy? He's just got six million bucks just to dump on a call option position. <laughs> yeah, well, well, he he had an idea of what the outcome might be. So, <laughs> right, so um, he scrounged together six million bucks in the hope that he's going to be some quintillionaire or something. Yeah, ex- exactly. Um, and and that yeah. bit's fine, by the way. Um, you can you know you can you can you can make a bet um with with call options on a on a company near bankruptcy. That's obviously completely legal. There's nothing wrong with that. 
Um, mm-hmm. But what he did next was very illegal. Um, so Lamore is a real estate <laughs> investor and uh, he also owns an investment fund called Coal Capital Funds. Um, so yeah, he, he's a real ah. estate investor and he owns this fund that's, you know, got obviously investors and he puts out, you know, press releases and, and he has some kind of public presence. And after he bought the coal options, he issued a press release from the fund saying that the firm was looking to purchase 51% of all minority ownership shares in WeWork at $9 per share, which is nine <laughs> times the price of the stock at the time. So he basically came out and said, yeah, we're going to buy um, you know, half, basically half of all of the minority shares. So not, not the majority owners. There's some kind of big owners in, in WeWork, but we're going to come out and we're buying half of all the minority shares. And not only are we going to do that, we're going to do it at nine times the current stock price. That's hilarious. Um, which I don't know the exact dates. They don't give the exact dates that he did all of this. But if you look in early November, after the stock was 80 cents per share, the stock rose more than 100% in, in a couple of weeks. So I don't know if that was completely <laughs> related to what he was doing or if it was partially related to what he was doing or if it wasn't at all. But um, certainly it, it comes out being one of the dumbest cases of stock manipulation ever. Like I, I just read through this and I was like, how did this guy think that he was going to get away with this? Like he bought a huge, yeah. he dumped a huge amount into call options. That would have been a very notable position on the, 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 the trading um, uh, list. Uh, and then he issues this fake press release <laughs> about, about buying shares, about, about buying like a huge ownership in the company. Yeah. Um, that's, um, which I, that's, that's not good. That's, that's a pretty <laughs> obvious one. Eh? That's, yeah. that's not bad. To, um, to, to just to to put out a press release that's like completely empty, like there's not even he didn't. He did, I'm guessing he didn't even gather any sort of evidence. He didn't like write some fake emails to his fake lawyers or something like that, saying we're considering purchasing this at this. Do you do you advise that this is a wise idea? We do advise on behalf of your legal team. There was none of that. There was no build up. There was just like a fake press release. No. Jeez, I wonder. I wonder if I could do this. I, Brandon <laughs> Vanderkolk, am about to buy um, $37 billion of Apple stock. Yeah. Effective immediately. Yeah. Quick. Where are, the, where are my call options at? I'll see if I can get, I can do the same. Oh my gosh, Apple, Apple stock's gone up. It's just, there's just no way. That's just so stupid, dude. Yeah. That's, so- that's why I thought it was just so funny because it's so blatant and it's just hilarious how quickly the SEC <laughs> yeah. went for, they're like, this is the start of November. We're not even at the end of November and the SEC has already charged it with stock manipulation, <laughs> which means it was like the most easy case like that they ever had. Yeah. Um. <laughs> imagine, imagine like the SEC knocking on his door being like, hey man, did you uh, buy 72,000 call options in this stock? Yes. Uh, hey, man, did you uh, put out a press release saying you're going to buy X amount of their, uh, their common shares? Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, d- so did you have any intention of buying the common shares? Uh, no, I didn't. Okay, lock him up. <laughs> it's like, that's how it would have yeah. gone. Bang, bang, bang. Insane. See you later. Insane. Um, and then while they were investigating him um, for this very ridiculous, stupid case of stock manipulation, they also found all kinds of other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> which, oh my god! Which is always the story with these with these cases, isn't That's it? The, it's like um, there's always you know the, the the tip of the iceberg is like caught by the SEC, and then they just find everything else. Yeah, um, that's the double shot yourself in the foot. That's the double shot. Yeah, of shooting yourself in the foot. <laughs> yeah. Um. So they also found that he misappropriated thirty five million dollars in managed funds over multiple years. Um, and uh, the SEC said that he used these funds for family member expenses and also to fund a lifestyle that included private jets, yachts, and expensive residencies. Um, of course, Hamish, of course. So, yeah, it's always, it's always the same story, isn't it? Um, it's always the same. That's just, that's just ridiculous. Is there, um, I don't know, c- could there be a more blatant example of fraud? I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Yeah, I don't know. He's definitely a contender for for dumbest fraudster of the year. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, <laughs> that would be funny. What a category! Yeah, I, we'll I send think, him uh, his golden turd or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A little yeah, a little trophy. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly right. <laughs> um, oh dear. So so there you go. Well, there you go, Hamish. There you go. Yeah. 
All right, you want uh, you want to talk about the Sheehan IPO or you want to talk about Elon Musk chucking a tantrum? Um, uh, let's go. Let's go Sheehan. Go go. Give us the give us yeah, the Sheehan IPO because um I haven't, I haven't let, read let's anything save about the spicy this stuff until later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. No worries. Um, look, honestly, I, I didn't know much about this brand. It's not uh, a brand that I've bought clothes from, but it's shaping up to be quite a large IPO over in the US. Yeah. So. Um, I, I did a bit of digging and of course I haven't heard about it because it is basically a company that relies entirely on TikTok <laughs> and I do not use TikTok. Yeah. Um, so actually I tell a lie. I have been experimenting with TikTok cool. lately. If you can find me on t- actually, no, I shouldn't say that because there's a million scammers. I think I'm like new money. YouTube is my handle on TikTok. I've put up like <laughs> the same shorts that I've put up on, on, on my uh, Instagram. Anyway, if you find me, good luck. Um, so, as TikTok took over the world, a low-profile Chinese company known for its cheap wedding dresses joined the land grab. Videos of people trying on cheap, trendy clothes from Chinese fast fashion group Shein have become a genre of their own. Surging sales mean Shein's US listing may become one of the largest in the past decade. Wow. Shein has filed paperwork for a US initial public offering. Backers include Abu Dhabi Sovereign Wealth Fund uh, Mubadala. I actually don't know how to say that. Do you know how to say that? No, Mubadala. Mubadala. And venture capital group Sequoia China. Uh, The group has reportedly targeted a valuation as high as $90 billion, not far from its $100 billion private valuation last year. Wow. Sheehan has achieved remarkable growth. Viral videos playing to viewers' short attention spans have tapped unprecedented demands for garments, home furnishings, and pet accessories, all of which Sheehan provides at less than $10. Mm. The group has made a heavy and effective use of social media marketing. Here, influencers receive commissions for posts featuring Sheehan outfits. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it's a company that's gotten on the TikTok trend and it has gone gangbusters for them. Yeah, there's, there's this um, pretty common trend on TikTok for uh, people to kind of do these like shopping hauls and to buy like heaps of clothes. And then the TikTok is them just tr- uh. kind of trying on heaps of clothes. And Shan has just allowed that to explode because their clothes are so cheap. And even if the quality is, I see. <laughs> is really, really uh, not that great, um, you can't tell the quality on a, on a TikTok. It's just, you know, you're trying on a bunch of clothes. So, you know, people can now spend, you know, $50 and try on like 10 different things and do that over and over again. Um, so right. it's kind of really opened the door for like anybody to build a, a platform on TikTok doing these, doing, doing these shopping hauls or whatever. And it's a really um, popular trend. Um, so, yeah, I, I think uh, it makes perfect sense. Those two, TikTok and Shein's like, uh, uh, fast fashion nature of just chewing out like huge amounts of really low quality clothes at really cheap prices. It's just the perfect, right. it's the perfect combination. Um, the perfect storm. Yeah. There you go. Hamish, I love how political you're getting these days. Am I? What did you just I? say before? What? <laughs> uh, they are extremely, ver- they are very, very not that great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm holding back. This company is so not great. Well, fair. I'm trying to I'm trying to not get Softening. as banned by advertisers. So I'm trying to avoid using yeah, your true. word. <laughs> true, we need to get the ads. We need to get the Shein ads in, in the middle yeah, of our podcast. Exactly. We need to say it more. Shein, Shein. Cheap yeah. clothing. Try yeah. on haul. TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> fashion. Fast fashion. <laughs> I want to buy some clothes. <laughs> Black Friday sales extended. Shein. I yep. wonder if we'll get a Shein ad somewhere. Yep. Um, anyway, what was I saying, Hamish? The U.S. market has now become its largest, with more than five hundred with more than five hundred strong marketing, with with a more than five hundred strong mar- strong market. Oh my gosh, Hamish, can I speak today? <laughs> with a more than five hundred strong marketing operation, fourteen hundred people working in its warehouse in Indiana, and about eighteen hundred partnerships with designers and artists. Shein, which is best known for its extremely low prices, has recently ranked, get this, has recently ranked as the second most popular shopping site after Amazon among teenagers, according to a Piper Sandler survey involving 9,193 individuals. Wow. That is a crazy stat. I mean, honestly, I'll be honest, I've not really heard much about this company. Granted, I don't use TikTok, so fair enough. Yeah. But- 
to have it be like the second most popular uh, shopping site after Amazon amongst teenagers. Wow. Yeah. Hectic. No, not hectic. Something <laughs> different. I didn't look up the synonyms. Ah, that's that's I strike shot two. Myself in the foot. That's strike two. Three strike strikes two. and the podcast ends. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm feeling hectically tired. So, all right, we'll call well, it there. No. See you guys. <laughs> hectic synonyms. <laughs> Sorry, uh, feel free to jump in if you had anything to add. Um, yeah, it's crazy, uh, and I, I think you know, fair enough. A lot of people don't really like. Uh, what Shein is doing to the fashion industry because it's taking fast fashion, which has already been a thing that's been around for a very long time and just making it super, super extreme. Like you're talking about three, $4 items for clothes um, that you're going to yeah. wear once and then never wear it again. And, and uh, yeah. it, you know, it's encouraging people to spend, you know, the same amount of money, but now you're buying like so many more clothes that are going into landfill and, you know, they're clothes that even if they, get donated they're just really poor quality so they don't last very long mm. and it's just adding to this you know enormous one of the biggest problems that um we have which is just um the enormous amount of waste there is in in fashion um mm. uh yeah so yeah, it's so, crazy know, there's there's a lot of negative um press around um uh shin which i think is um fairly warranted fair yep um that is frantic, Hamish. That is absolutely frantic. <laughs> I don't know. There's no good ones. Wow, that is frenetic. Fren- okay. Wow, that is fast and furious. I'm going to use that one. <laughs> Whoa, fast and furious, dude. Wow. All right. Um, so anyway, valued at an industry multiple, get this, Shein would be worth almost $70 billion. That would be lower than the $126 billion market value of Zara owner. Inditex, Inditex, and higher than H&M's $27 billion. So, um, pretty hectic. No, not hectic. Pretty non-hectic. Pretty fast and furious. Um, especially because they, they noted that um, Shein is expected to grow faster, a lot faster than its peers. Wow. Um, it's targeted to more than double sales over the next two years. Crazy. So. Yeah. Well, um. Yeah, it's actually surprising. So their their valuation isn't all the so their private valuation last year was a hundred billion, and they're expected to go at ninety billion. Which obviously you expect uh, the valuation to be lower than 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 last year. Um, you know, coming off the private um, uh, tech company, you know, um, uh, crazy valuations of twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two. But um, they seem you know somewhat more resilient, probably in part because of their enormous growth. Um, to to some of that, so to still be uh, planning to IPO near their all-time valuation is for for a tech company is is you know pretty crazy. Which they are, you know, I, I guess they're kind of a tech company. I guess every company is a tech company now. <laughs> like if you have some sort of international operations, online operations. Yes. Yeah, so it will be interesting to see um, what Shein can do at IPO. But with that said, mm. shall we move on to some inflation statistics, Hamish Hodder? Yes. Um, yeah. So again, we've got a couple of, uh, we've got inflation for October for a couple of different places. We've got uh, Australia, and then we'll also talk through uh, the Eurozone and some of the specific countries in, uh, in the Eurozone as well. Um, so Australia, first of all, uh, reported their uh, uh, October inflation figures, uh, their CPI eased to 4.9% compared to 5.6% recorded in September and much better than the 5.2% expected. So um, yeah, big drop in uh, headline inflation in Australia, which is obviously good. continued good news. Um, it's been you know moderately good news uh, for Australian inflation uh, for the last few months. Um, so that story um, seems to continue, obviously still quite a way outside our uh, healthy kind of 2 to 3% range in which uh, long-term inflation should be. Um, but uh, certainly heading in the right direction. Good to be in the, uh, in the 4% now rather than the 5s. Mm. Uh, core CPI, which excludes volatile items like energy and food, uh, eased to 5.1%. So core inflation is still a little bit higher than headline inflation because of uh, energy actually being negative this year compared to last year. Um, so core inflation... Um, you know, it does strip out some important, obviously energy and food are very important figures, but uh, it gives us a bit of a smoother look at inflation and um, uh, it, it's been a little bit more useful recently. So that's sitting at um, 5.1%. Um, but really interesting news on a month over month basis. So those are all year over year comparing to last year, but just comparing 
how, how much do prices change in October? Uh, prices actually declined 0.3% in October. So mm. um, that's actually not only a negative figure, um, but it's actually quite a negative figure. Um, negative 0.3% is, is very considerable. So um, that's obviously, again, very good news. Um, and, and, you know, interesting, um, to see, I guess we'll, we'll see how, we'll see how inflation looks, um, now after we get uh, November and we get, uh, we get Black Friday, but, uh, you know, potentially yeah. people are easing in their spending in October to spend on Black Friday. But, you know, I'm not sure if that's, that's true. I guess we'll, we'll find out kind of next month. Um, Mm. In terms of uh, yeah, very cool. the, uh, the, the specific monthly decline, so rent was down 0.2% during the month. So this is just month over month. And then holiday travel was minus 7% just in the month. So those are the big kind of monthly decliners. But in terms of big movers right. for, the, for the year over year figure, so inflation to uh, the end of October, housing uh, is still one of the biggest contributors at 6.1%, um, housing being kind of um, rent uh, and then also increases in the, the cost of new dwellings. Transportation mm-hmm. was uh, plus five point nine percent, so transportation again also very high, and then food and non-alcoholic beverages was plus five point three percent. So um, yeah, housing, food, they continue to be um, yeah the the big places where uh, inflation is being felt. Uh, at a Hong Kong mm-hmm. event this week, RBA Governor Michelle Bullock said, uh, "We're in a period where we have to be a little bit careful. We have to make sure we keep inflation under control." and bring it back to our 2 to 3% band. But we also need to make sure that we do that in a context of not imposing on the economy too much and raising the unemployment rate too much. So um, just talking about that mm. kind of fine line that every central bank is trying to walk right now, which is um, they want to quickly get inflation down, but they don't want to do too much to cause a, you know, a big um, crack in the economy that um, you know, maybe causes even more pain than what they're trying to fix. Yep, I think that's uh, pretty much the standard response from from all of the central yep. um, central bank governors around the world is that now that inflation is coming back down, they've got to keep it there. Um, but at the same time, economic, uh, you know, the economy is pretty pretty sh- bad. <laughs> the the antonym of hectic. Yep. It's, it's yeah, absolutely non non hectic. Yep. Yep. Um, so yeah, they have to make sure that they don't. Um, that they don't hurt the economy too much. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's pretty much um, take that phrase, copy and paste into chat GPT and say, rephrase this for me next month. Um, that's, yeah. that's, it's pretty much pretty uh, Jerome Powell and, uh, and Michelle Bullock's jobs yeah. at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Um, <laughs> then we also had uh, Eurozone, which I don't have too much on, but uh, I thought I'd, I'd note it because it was interesting. CPI dropped from 4.3% last month to 2.9% in October. The Eurozone, which has been one of the most affected by very sharp inflation last year, wow. um, is now at 2.9%, which is obviously not only uh, a good that's, rate, it's, it's, it's a healthy rate of inflation. Uh, and uh, That's good. The big driver of that, of course, was energy. Energy prices are down 11% year over year. Uh, food inflation eased from 8.8% to 7.5%. So food inflation has still been very high, but it's coming down a lot. Uh, and even core inflation uh, was much better at 4.2%, which is obviously um, still a little bit outside the range, but um, getting a lot better. Uh, and then interestingly, if you zoom into some of the countries in the European, uh, the Eurozone, uh, there's obviously quite a variance of, of what's happening. You had Germany at 3%, yep. France at 4.5%, Italy at just 1.8%. Uh, and then Spain uh, was actually one of the countries that saw an an increase. Um, they reached 3.5% inflation. Um, right. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, not, not too much We're to there. kind of comment on, um, on, on inflation. It's, um, yeah, that's pretty much the same story every month recently. So there's nothing, you know, crazy that's been happening. Yep. We are getting there though, aren't we? We are. Slowly but surely. All right. Well, let's talk about, uh, should we talk about Mr. Elon Musk before we do a couple of Q&A questions? Oh boy. What has he done? Actually, I mean, I can't say oh. that. I've, I've, I've seen, I've seen what he's done. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Elon, my man, my man, Elon over here. He, he lost it, mate. He absolutely <laughs> lost it. Um, so he recently did an interview with CNBC's Andrew Ross Sorkin at the New York Times annual deal book summit, whatever the heck that is. So the story goes, 
Um, he'd been accused of making anti-Semitic comments on X the other week. And, um, and in response, uh, now he, he defends, like he says that what he posted was silly and foolish and that he shouldn't have done it, but he definitely defends that he is uh, uh, not anti-Semite. Um, so then what happened was that a lot of big advertisers classic they pulled their advertising spend on x so in particular apple and disney other 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 um other companies we're talking about here um now andrew asked elon um about this in the interview like what are his thoughts Mm. uh, about the the comments that he made and also what he thinks about the advertisers pulling back and um what was elon's response he said, if somebody's going to try to blackmail me with advertising, blackmail me with money, go F yourself. <laughs> go F yourself. Is that clear? Musk signaled out Disney's CEO, Bob Iger, in the audience saying, hi, Bob. <laughs> so he was not holding back. Um, very much getting fired up, the old Elon Musk. Yeah. Uh, but it was interesting because just, okay, yeah, he definitely lost his cool, but... Um, Listening to what he said, it it did come across to me that he sees the very future of X under threat. Uh, he he did kind of admit that a mass exit of, uh, exodus of uh, advertisers could very well bankrupt the company, and he wasn't keen on supporting it, supporting its ongoing operations with any more of his own money. Right. So he kind of took the took the victim approach of being like, and they could bankrupt our company, and then. They'll have to live with that. Society will know why this has happened, and they'll have to live with that. So yeah, it was it was uh, it was an interesting start to an interview. It was definitely riled up the old Elon. Um, yeah, it was a yeah, it was a pretty. I I mean, I, I thought the clip was great. I think um, <laughs> of course you did. You I, you some people like to see the world burn. Yeah, you just. I, I mean, <laughs> you I love that stuff. I, I, I didn't see. I didn't see what he what he commented on Twitter that led to the to advertisers pulling back so i i don't know anything about that yeah. but there is something to be said yeah. about big companies bullying platforms into platform changes because they have big ad mm. spend and not bending to that i, I, I there's something that's just satisfying about that uh, um watching him say no we're not going to change the platform i mean it's happened on youtube a if lot you can. um you know there's certain things that will happen on youtube advertisers pull back and YouTube just makes a bunch of changes that are worse for creators and worse for audiences, and they're only better for uh, for, for advertisers. Um, and I understand, you know, businesses have to basically have to do that, right? It's 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 an unfortunate thing that that exists. Big advertisers can impose kind of changes on 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 businesses where they're big clients. Mm-hmm. But it is it was very satisfying just to see him not bend to that. But it does actually seem like, from what he said, as you said, that. Uh, it's not as if he can do that and then X will just go on. Uh, it, it seems like, yeah, they are in maybe a bit of trouble. Um, mm. So that's sad. Yeah, we, we obviously don't know. And it could have been Elon kind of just placing himself as the victim a little bit. Yeah. Um, so there might have been that that kind of angle as well. We don't know. But, yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting uh, little outburst. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Uh, he also travelled to Israel this week where he met and spoke with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu when Netanyahu said he wanted to de-radicalise and rebuild Gaza, Musk offered to help. Uh, Musk told Sorkin on stage that his visit to Israel was planned before his tweets and were not part of an apology tour. <laughs> um, he also spoke about unions as earlier on Wednesday, the UAW launched campaigns aimed at Tesla and 12 other automakers in the US. Sorkin asked Musk uh, what that meant for his EV business. Musk expressed generally negative views about unions and said they create, quote, lords and peasants, end quote, um, at companies and naturally try and create negativity, pitting workers against management. He said many people at Tesla have come up uh, gone from working in the line to being in senior management, and there's no lords and peasants. Everyone eats at the same table, he added. Uh, if Tesla gets unionized, it will be because we deserve it and we failed in some way. Right. So, interesting. I think that's an interesting take. Hmm. Um, on the open AI, sorry, did you have anything to add on the on the union front, or should I talk about this open AI uh, stuff? Yeah, no, nothing really to add. Yeah. All right. All right. On open AI and its recent boardroom struggles, 
Uh, Musk said he had talked uh, to a lot of people but had not found out precisely what led to the recent firing and then rehiring of CEO Sam Altman. Uh, He also said he has mixed feelings about Altman personally, hinting that he feels like the OpenAI CEO has too much power. Quote, the ring of power can corrupt. Uh, When it was founded, OpenAI's original board included both Altman and Musk, but Musk left in 2018 after expressing a potential conflict of interest with Tesla's autopilot efforts. Hmm. So there you go. So there you go, Hamish. I I still haven't made my way through the whole interview, but man, it's been an odd one so far. Yeah. Entertaining nonetheless. Yeah, I've only seen that one clip. Um, I haven't, I haven't seen the rest of the interview, but it sounds, yeah. sounds like he was kind of unhinged <laughs> the entire interview. Uh, so I'll, like I'll have to go back in and, and watch it. Um, he's a funny man, yeah. Elon. Um, he's a, <laughs> he's a funny man. We, All right. Should we do some Q and A? Yes. Let's. All right. And as a reminder, if you wanted to ask a question for Q and A, you can go to the most recent version of the podcast on YouTube and drop us a comment or you can go to the Spotify question box and uh and drop a comment there. All right, Hamish. Um, um where shall we begin? Yeah, let's um let's what start about there. what about this one? Have you noticed that being a value investor not only influences your investments, but also uh the way you look at life, politics, happiness, time, money, relationships, etc. Yeah, I think um it's kind of interesting. I think that the principles of, of being a value investor are principles that do apply in a lot of different domains throughout your life. Um, and I think it's also why certain people tend to be gravi- tend to gravitate towards value investing. Because I think if you already have some of these, uh, I guess, principles w- within you in, in some aspect, then you're kind of more attracted to value investing as a way of investing anyway. Um, but yeah, you know, things like patience, discipline, um, you know, in the, in the recent, uh, Munger interview, he was talking about, you know, learning to identify rare opportunities and bet big when you have a sure thing, you know, that obviously applies specifically to value investing, you know, being able to identify undervalued businesses and then betting big when you have a sure thing, that's, you know, classic, um, you know, Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger value investing, but, um, that also applies to many other things, whether it's your, your business and, you know, coming across some good idea and then going big on it relationships, you know, identifying a rare person you want to be with and then going big on it. Like it, it actually applies to all kinds of aspects um, in your life. So yeah, I, I think so. Um, I think, I think mm. it certainly probably has had a pretty significant impact um, on, you know, the way that I, I do things. Um, do you find that? Nice. Um, I probably find that being what I've learned, obviously from value investing or just investing in general, is that you have to take the time to understand both sides of the argument. Mm. Um, and I think that that's something that generally I try and do more of now. So I'm not very, I'm not quick to judge anymore. Um, but one thing, one thing that I, that frustrates me is, is when people have um, one particular opinion um, that may not even, you know, the evidence might suggest that maybe they're incorrect, but, they refuse to even consider the alternative. Yeah. Like I, I'm okay if, if you have a different opinion to me. I won't get annoyed at you if you have a different opinion to me. But if you are someone that is so, so drilled down on, you, you've dug your hole so deep and you refuse to even consider the alternative approach or the, or the alternative, if you refuse to even pit one school of thought against another, then I don't know, that frustrates oh, me yeah. a lot. Yeah. Um, well, and that's something that you need to do in investing. You need to be like, okay, I, I think this business is great, but why could this business be terrible? And then you need to, you know, as Charlie said, as Charlie would say, you need to invert. Um, so I think that's a big thing for me. Yeah. And I think that's probably one of the things that frustrates me the most about political topics in, in particular. Like when there's a new topic that kind of comes up, a lot of people will just kind of look and say like, what is my side think about this. And then that's the view that they adopt rather than what I think you should probably do. And this is probably more of a value investing thing, which is like, what are my principles? How would my principles apply to this? How would my principles apply to this? And sometimes that means you'll agree with one side and sometimes you'll agree with the other side. I think it's a massive red flag when someone kind of just looks to and always has the views of one particular 
like political affiliation. That that to me really bothers me because um, I've never kind of viewed issues that way. I always just think about trying to apply things equally across um, across different issues. Um, so yeah. Yep, agreed. Um, agreed. Yeah, let me. Uh, I've got a. I've got a question that's directed at you, so I'll. Uh, I'll ask this one to you. Ah. Hello, guys. A question to Brandon. Great video on uh, Charlie Munger. Can you please? Can you kindly discuss? Uh, does the warning in the video, uh, or is the warning in the video applicable to passive investors? Again, great podcast. Thanks. We'll appreciate it. Yeah, so I think this is making reference of the video I made fairly recently. Um, and essentially his warning in the video, the warning that we were talking about is that value investing um, from here is going to get a lot tougher than what it historically has been yep. uh, for Warren and Charlie in their, in their heyday. Um, and that there won't be an abundance of opportunities going forward. Um, does that matter for passive investors? No, nah, it, it doesn't. It does not at all because they, you, as a passive investor, you're not looking for stocks to buy. Um, uh, their strat is to hold, you know, buy and hold the whole market and consistently buy over time. In fact, that the less they look at individual companies or the stuff that's going on in the market, the better. That if, if they didn't even hear Charlie Munger talking about how it's going to be harder in the future, they would be better off as passive investors. So, yeah, um, yeah, I, d- I definitely think that for for passive investors. A lot of the stuff that gets said, most of the stuff that gets said um, or that you hear is completely irrelevant, um, including this one. <laughs> yeah, I, um, yeah, I don't think I, I think I have anything really um, I can really right, more cool. add on that. All right. Well, we're, all right, we're getting through a few questions. Um, for side hustles, did either of you ever consider ride sharing services? Like Uber or Lyft. Oh, interesting. Um, not no, not ride sharing um services. I mean, I did all kinds of strange kind of side hustle stuff, like setting up websites and selling stuff using Facebook ads and and Amazon FBA and all, I did all kinds of like kind of side hustly sort of stuff. But I never, no, I never really did any kind of ride considered ride sharing. My, I don't think my car could be done used used for right. ride sharing because i think it's too old i think you have to have like newer model cars usually or there's like a list of cars i'm not entirely sure but i don't think i probably could do it but um no right. not not really um no i did really <laughs> well yeah i actually um I got so into i got so passionate about when i first got my tesla i was like oh my god this is so cool and then I just wanted to get everybody in the car. It's, um, it's just it's just so much fun. And I, I stuck you in the passenger seat and we've gone around real quick in, in sport mode. It's just good mm, fun. Yeah. So I was like, but there was actually a time where before, before I'd made any money at all, I was like, man, I would so love to own a Tesla. Just a Model 3. I'd had my eyes on it for a long time. It had been years and years and years until it came to Australia. I was like, oh, man, I wonder if I could. I was like, it got to a point where I sat down with myself and I was like, Brandon, would you drive Uber just to pay this car off? And I was like, you know what? <laughs> I probably would. <laughs> Luckily, it, it didn't come to that. I've I've never done ride sharing or, or Uber, but um, sounds like it's a, you know, uh, I guess depending on, I guess there's mixed reviews. A lot of the Uber drivers I speak to say that it's not, it's not really great. Um, it's not a great way to make a lot of money. It kind right. of sucks, but I guess at the same time, I, I I find it cool that there is a platform. If you have a relatively new car, you can just sign up and you know go through your checks or whatever you need to do, show them your license, and then you can start earning money just from driving people around. I th- I think that's cool. Yeah, I, I wish there were more kind of uh, apps which give people just employment opportunities if they so desire um, in uh, in other areas as well. I wish there were. Uber equivalents for lots of different professions. I don't know. I guess there's like Fiverr, that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, I, I think the whole. I, I like that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think. Um, I think a lot of the gig economy stuff has been really interesting because it's yeah, it is this way that people can kind of just very quickly spin up kind of a side hustle or a business without too much overhead and n- not having to really think too much about it. It's just kind of there's just a bunch of apps now. Mm. Or if you're a creative, you can you know do like Upwork or. or 
um, uh, Fiverr or something like that and just, just you know, had, um, you know, uh, 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 loan out your services or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, yeah, it is interesting, but I've never, yeah, never, never did that. If you do, um, right, sharing it all and uh, let us know in the comments if it's, uh, if it's been lucrative for you um, and, and, and how it's been. Yeah. All right, Hamish. I reckon uh, that'll just about do us. Yep. What do you reckon? Yep, sounds good. Um, yeah, as always, thanks everyone for tuning in. Uh, if you have any questions for next week's episode, if you're in Spotify, you can ask natively by swiping up and asking uh, in the chat box or head over to the YouTube version uh, of the podcast uh, and just click on the latest episode and leave your questions as a comment on the latest episode. Uh, thanks to Seeking Alpha for sponsoring. As always, if you want to get it, check out that Black Friday deal. It runs out uh, on the 5th of December. SeekingAlpha.me forward slash young investors for 167 a year uh, and a seven-day free trial. So go check it out if you're interested. Thanks, Brandon, for joining me as always. And uh, we'll be back good, next week. Um, so have a good rest of your weekend, guys. And we'll see you later. See ya. See ya.